Assalamu alaikum. Welcome and thank you for downloading the Ministry of Dawah podcast. Search for us on Facebook and on YouTube. This week's topic is the role of the Muslim youth in the West, part two. Alhamdulillah, inna alhamdulillahi nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'ghfiruhu wa nu'minu bihi wa natawakkalu alayhi wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa min sayi'ati a'malina man yahdihillahu falamudillalah wa man yudlilhu falahadiyalah wa nashadu an la ilaha illa allahu wahdahu la sharika la wa nashadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh qala mawla azwajal fil qur'anil majid بعد أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم الذين يتبعون الرسول النبي الأمي الذي يجدونه مكتوبا عندهم في التوراة والإنجيل يأمرهم بالمعروف وينهاهم عن المنكر ويحل لهم الطيبات ويحرم عليهم الخبائث ويضع عنهم إسراهم والأغلال التي كانت عليهم فالذين آمنوا به وعزاروه ونصره واتبعوه النور الذي أنزل معه أولئك هم المفلحون صدق الله العظيم السلام عليكم brothers as the hamdulillah the videos showed and the first he highlighted and he went into some details about obviously some of the problems that you know the Muslim youth in this country face the Muslim youth or the Muslims in general in the West they face. Um, so I'm not going to be really touching up much upon that. I mean, I'm going to give you some examples, inshallah, but uh, I'm not going to go into that much detail about it. But I'm going to give you more in terms of a, a solution of what the Muslims in this uh, country, Muslims in the West, should be doing. And inshallah, I'll try to highlight with some points, inshallah. Uh, so before I start with my circle, inshallah, I just wanted to uh, touch up on some of the things that the first speaker mentioned. Um, and it's a fact, you know, it's a fact that Muslims in, this, in the West, they're affected by uh, social pressure. And obviously social pressure it leads to other things, right? Um, so social pressure from your friends might lead to a certain thing, from your family might lead to certain things, from college, um, from media. All of these social pressures uh, that the Muslims face in, this con- uh, in the West, they have an effect on the Muslims um, in terms of their mindset and in, ter- in terms of their choices. And I mean, this happens from the smallest people to the, uh, to the biggest people. Like, for example, I can see some little kids here, uh, mashallah. But you know, for us uh, brothers who've got you know, kids or younger brothers and sisters, um, you know, for example, sometimes when they've got a toy and like, they want something, and you ask them, why do you want this toy for? Their usual responses are, my mate's got it. That girl's got it in my class. Or that boy's got it in my class. I want, I, I want what she's got, you see. Or when you take them to clothes shopping, they're like, uh, what do you want? I want that jacket. Why? Uh, my mates got it. You see? And that happens from a, a very, very low level in terms of primary and secondary school. But that even happens with, 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 with people like college and university. Yeah, like sometimes I go into certain um, colleges and like, you know, you'd think that people from secondary school have left uniform, right? But you go to these schools, you go to these colleges, it's like they're exactly dressed the same. Like, the guys who are in rap and stuff like that, they're dressed the same, like, effectively, yeah. I can see two brothers here dressed the same, yeah. Um, you see, you have brothers who are like goths and follow a certain favor, like, dress up the same. You see, it's like, 
Everyone has certain societal pressures that they conform to. That the two brothers are looking like, ah, now you copied me, you copied me. But don't worry, everyone's copying each other. That's the, that's the point basically, yeah? And the other issue is basically, like, you know, even for, for example, like older, older people. Uh, like my brother, he was buying a car the other day. I'm like, oh, why do you want to buy that car for? He's like, oh man, this guy at work, he's got this car. Like, I, I need to get the same one, I need something better than you. You see? Uh, I can't roll around. I can't roll around in my car anymore, man. Like he's parking in front of in, in front of where I work. He's going to see what car I get into, man. You see, all of these little things they play a massive role in how the Muslims they act and behave, whether you like it or not. Yeah, whether you like it or not. Um, and these are some of the things that uh, obviously affect us. And you know, this is not necessarily a conscious decision that people make. Do you see? This is not necessarily a conscious decision that people make. They're like, I want to be like that, but. It's one of the things that has a big effect and so it's one of the biggest um, obstacles is that the Muslims in the West face. So let me give you another example. Like me brothers here, I'm not that sophisticated yeah. So I, I, I carry a really rubbish phone here. Yeah. I'm not even I don't even know the name of it, that's how bad it is, yeah. It hasn't even got probably a model number. But I see some young kids on the bus with Blackberries, iPhones and all of these kind of things and I remember this little kid he was asking his mama, I, I want a I want a Blackberry. He's like his mom's like, Who are you gonna call? You got you got no one to call. Why you got a phone for? <laughs> Do you see? Who are you gonna text? Who are you gonna call? Do you see here? Yeah? And he's like, ah, oh, my mates, my mates got it. You see, my my friend has it. I need to have a phone. And all of these things are based around what society is effectively telling you, what you need or what you should have. And the thing is that it becomes it can become some it can become so strong in this society that. People actually can become enslaved by it. You know, societal pressure can be so strong in this um, um, in the West that you actually become enslaved by it. For a society, you know, that um, prides itself of being independent and free and promotes freedom and all of these countries, it actually isn't that free in this country. Like, if you think about all of the choices that you make, it's either you think, you know what, that's a better way of life and I've accepted it, so I, I need to be like that. Or, you unconsciously just do what the people are doing, and you just fall into the trend. And you know brothers, the ayah that I mentioned in the beginning, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually mentioned this. <coughs> Allah actually mentioned this. And you know in Surah Al-A'raf, in the heights, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he, he mentions the role of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the role of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now this is, this is one of the many ayah of um, ayah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he talks about the role of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the context is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking to the Jews and the Christians or the people of the previous nations and telling them that you, you recognize that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is within your text. You see? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, الَّذِينَ يَتَّبِعُونَ الرَّسُولَ رسول النبي الأمي الذي يجدونه مكتوبا إنداهم إنداهم في التوراة والإنجيل. That those who follow the messenger of Allah, the Ummi, which means the unlettered prophet, whom they find written down with them in the Torah and the Injil. So the description and the glad tidings of the Prophet ﷺ has already been given in their text. But then this is the important part where Allah subhanahu wa taala describes the role of the Prophet ﷺ. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَأْمُرُهُمْ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ That He enjoins upon you good. Do you see? He enjoins upon you good. 
وَيَنْهَرْهُمْ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ And he, he negates you from doing any munkar, any bad deeds. You see, this is a central point of Islam, isn't it? The Prophet ﷺ, he enjoins you to good and forbids you from what's wrong. وَيُهِلُّ لَهُمُ الطَّيِّبَاتِ And he has made halal for you all of the things that are tayyibat, that are good. So all of the actions that are good and all of the things that are good, Allah, he has made um, permissible for you. وَيُهِلُّ لَهُمْ وَيُحَرِّمُ عَلَيْهِمُ الْخَبَائِثِ And he has prohibited for you those things which are haram. You know, these things obviously we know that the Prophet ﷺ came to do. But this is the important bit. وَيَضَعَ عَنْهُمْ إِسْرَاهُمْ وَالْأَغْلَالِ And he has come to remove upon them um, their Isr. And you know brothers, the word Isr, it means, uh, it's like a heavy burden. Isr means actually like a heavy burden. <coughs> and it also means, it has a double meaning of an, like an agreement. So both meanings added together, it means like a heavy agreement. And وَالْأَغْلَالِ And to remove the chains from them. And you know when you usually associate chains on someone's hand or on his neck, who is that usually? A prisoner, isn't it? A criminal, a prisoner. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying that the role of the Prophet is for him to come and remove this heavy burden of you and to remove these chains of you. <coughs> what does that mean? And this is what I'm going to go into inshallah. Now, when you think about society, when you look at the problems that the Muslims are facing, uh, you know, we, what do we think? We think that, you know what, when you follow the majority of the people, it becomes easy for you, isn't it? It's easier. It becomes, things become easy. Like for example, let me give you an example. Say for example, um, you guys decide that you guys want to eat. And everyone says, you know what, let's go uh, MACD's and get uh, uh, like, like, like a beef burger or something. Yeah? Everyone says it, except, apart from one brother. One brother says, you know what, let's, okay, let's actually go to, I know that there's, there, there's some halal place around the corner, let's just go there. One brother, just one brother. You know, naturally in that situation, what is it? It's going to be easier for him to do what? To conform to what people say, isn't it? For him to just stay quiet and just go with what people say. But, he actually makes things harder. He might think at that situation, you know what, if I stay quiet and I just listen to what the people have to say and just go with them and eat, you know, it's going to be easy. No one's going to really look at me. But he actually makes things harder. Because it means in the future he set a trend that he now can't break. And even more problematic is that on Yamul Qiyamah he'll be, he'll be, he'll be answer, answerable for his actions. And the second thing is, why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say that the Prophet came to remove the chains on the people? Now you know the Mufassirun, the, the scholars of Quran, they give two meanings. One of the meanings is that, you know for example, uh, for, for us who have um, like dads who are from the subcontinent, um, or yeah, I mean anywhere, anywhere generally from the Muslim world who are not born in this country, what do they usually insist upon? That things need to be done the way I done it. So the way they done it. I don't care what you think. You gotta do the way things we done it. Yeah? 
You don't like doing things that way? Well, I don't care. We've been doing it this way since 15 years. So you have to follow the trend that people have set over for generations. Now, that in itself is, a ch- is like a chain. Because they've associated something to their past. And the problem is that, you know, if that past or if that trend is a bad deed, what happens? All of the bad deeds get linked to him. So you know the first murder that was ever committed on the earth was done by who? The son of Adam. And his name was? Kabil. But did you know that every single murder that happens since that time is chained back to who? Kabil. There's another principle as well. The Prophet says, مَنْ دَلَّ عَلَى خَيْرٍ فَلَهُ مِثْلُ عَجْرِ that whosoever indicates to a good deed, his act, his reward is like the doer. But it works same with the haram. Whosoever indicates to a haram, then his action or his deed is of the haram as well. Do you see? So not only, I'm, say for example, I tell you brothers, you know what? Uh, go get a girlfriend. Go get in a haram relationship. Not only am I going to be accountable for it, or not only are you going to be accountable for it, but I'm going to be accountable for it as well. Although I may have not done it. Because I've actually set the trend. And this is the change that the Prophet ﷺ came to remove the Ummah from. Do you see? And start them new with the deen of Islam. And this is one of the most fundamental things that uh, Islam came to abolish. Just following societal trends for the sake of it. Because at the end of the day, one of the things we have to realize is that you know, those people that we want to be chained to are the good people on Yamul Qiyamah. Because if you're chained to the people who are going to go, and jah- go to Jahannam on Yamul Qiyamah, what's going to happen? You're going to tag along with them. You see? So that's why I want to build in you as an action point. When you ask yourself, brothers, what do I need to do? The first point is you need to realize that you need to break yourselves away from this chain. Do you see? And second of all, you need to attach yourself to the chains of Islam. And thirdly, you need to attach the people that you know onto the chains of Islam. You need to be a ring on the chain of Islam. As the Prophet ﷺ in the ayah he came to mention, do you see? That the Prophet ﷺ, he came to remove the chains and the heavy burdens of the, pe- of the back of the people. Because this is what actually happens when you stop following Islam. But I want to actually, brothers, give you a little story to highlight this point here. And uh, this is a story of one of the Sahabis. And you know, he's the, he has many, many similarities to a lot of people like, uh, like us. Uh, Muslims that have grown up in the West. Um, and this Sahabi's name is um, Shuhayb al-Rumi. Now some of you guys may have heard of him. This Sahabi's name is Shuhayb al-Rumi. Now... Shuhayb al-Rumi, he was born in an Arab family, in a royal Arab family. Yeah, so he was born into a very, very rich family. But as a child, um, he got kidnapped um, in the Arabian Peninsula, in, in, um, in, the, in, in the Arab land. He got kidnapped as a, um, when he was uh, little, and he was sold as a slave in Constantinople, in Turkey. So he got kidnapped at a young age, and he was sold in Constantinople 
where he would speak Greek. And he was essentially an outsider. Think about us. We are not ethnically European. We are not ethnically European. But we have lived here for most of our lives. Like Shu'ib al-Rumi. He was not ethnically from Constantinople at that time. But he had lived there for most of his time. Now, what happened was that one day, Shu'ib al-Rumi, he managed to escape. Um, he managed to escape from his master and from Turkey, from his Constantinople, and he went back to Arabia. He went back to Arabia. Remember, guys, brothers here, what I'm saying is that he's, he, 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 he's a slave. Yeah? He runs away from his master. He has no money. He manages to get himself to Arabia. And over there, he starts working for a merchant. He starts working for a merchant, and he starts... <coughs> and he starts to become an aristocrat. He starts becoming a bit wealthy. And so, uh, Shu'ib al-Rumi, he was in Mecca at the early period when the Prophet ﷺ was doing da'wah. Very, very early period when the Prophet ﷺ was doing da'wah, where there were probably 10 to 15 Muslims at that time. So what Shu'ib al-Rumi done was that he went and paid the Prophet ﷺ a visit. He met the Prophet ﷺ in Darul Arkham and he started speaking to him. And after he got convinced, he became Muslim. He became Muslim. But there was a problem at that time. Remember brothers, this was the early period of the da'wah in Islam. And what did that mean? That meant that people who publicly done da'wah at that time, publicly called to Islam and didn't have protection, what would happen to them? They would get beaten up, they would get tortured. Do you see? Yeah, Trouble would be afflicted upon them. Now Shu'ib al-Rumi, first, came back as a slave, he didn't have protection like some of the other senior sahabas had, like Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, and some of the other sahabas. So what happened was that when he started doing da'wah publicly, he was one of the first, he was with the first sahabas, like Bilal radiallahu an, like the family of Yasser, that were tortured for doing their da'wah publicly. Now a point to remember brothers, you know Shu'ib al-Rumi, you know he did not get beaten up or tortured because he prayed tahajjud. He did not get beaten up or tortured because he, done, he kept extra fasts. They directly inflicted pain upon him because of what? Because he was publicly calling to Islam and he was jeopardizing what the Quraysh at that time held valuable. You see, he was publicly engaging the da'wah. That's why they saw him as a threat. But, you know, his most famous story comes, of Shu'ib al-Rumi comes when, you know, after a couple of years, doing the da'wah, Shu'ib al-Rumi, remember, he still had a job. So he amassed a lot of wealth. He had a lot of money. Yeah, he had a lot of money. And the time came when the Prophet ﷺ had to leave Mecca to go to Medina. Now all of the Sahabas were leaving. And Shu'ib al-Rumi, he was planning to go with the Prophet ﷺ to Medina. But what did the Quraysh do? You know the Quraysh at that time, they captured him. They kidnapped him. And they said, you're not going to go with the Prophet ﷺ. And they kept him. 
So what happened was that the Prophet ﷺ left with Abu Bakr, he went to Medina. And Shuaib al was left in Mecca. But he managed to, by Allah's will, get away. And he started basically uh, escaping towards Medina. But guess what happens? On the way to Medina, he gets caught by some of the, some other uh, members of Quraysh. So they grab him and they say, "Look, we're not going to let you go to Me- uh, we're not going to let you go to Medina. We're not going to go and let you stay with the uh, just the, the Sahabas in the Islamic State with the Prophet We're not going to let you go because they realized one thing, and this is documented." That they told him, look, you came to Mecca with nothing. Now, you have a lot of wealth. Which means what? Which means if he's going to leave Mecca with a lot of wealth, he's taking the wealth of Mecca away with him, isn't he? Yeah, he's taking the wealth of Mecca away with him. He's taking all of the prizes of Mecca with him. So they're like, we're not going to let you do that. And you know, brothers, Shuayb al-Rumi, he was very, very rich by this time. So guess, not even what the Quraysh said, guess what he said? He said, let me make a deal with you. Let me make a deal with you. No, I'll give you X amount. I'll give you a quarter of my wealth. I'll give you half of my wealth. I'll give you two thirds of my wealth. He said, listen, let's make a deal. I'll give you all of my wealth. Brothers, remember, yeah, the Quraysh was scared that if he left with his wealth, yeah, Mecca would become poor. This is how rich he was. He said, you can take all of the wealth, just let me go and be with my messenger and my sahaba. And they agreed to that. And you know what happened, brothers? On the way here, when he made that sacrifice, he let all of that go, all of that money, all of that wealth he go, he saw the Prophet ﷺ waiting for him outside of Medina. So the Prophet ﷺ gave him salams and smiled at him and said, um, Your transaction has been fruitful, O Abu Yahya. Your transaction has been fruitful. And he repeated this three times. He says, Your transaction has been fruitful, O Abu Yahya. Your transaction has been fruitful. And you know, no one actually went and told the Prophet ﷺ that he done this. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Jibreel alayhi salam to go and inform the Prophet ﷺ of what Shu'ayb al-Rumi had done. Now the point and lesson that we take from the life of Shu'ayb al-Rumi is that, you know what brothers, do we love Allah and His Messenger to the extent that Shu'ayb al-Rumi does? You know, he has many similarities like us. That he was born in a foreign land. You know, many of us, our, forefathers, our, our fathers, our older generations, they fled from what? Slavery, economic slavery, political slavery. And they came to this country and now we're wealthy. Let's not lie about it. Yeah? We're very comfortable in this country. Yeah? We're very well off in this country compared to how we were before. But are we willing to sacrifice these things like Shuib al-Rumi was for Allah's message, for the love of Allah and His Messenger? Do you see? And. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَشْرِي نَفْسَهُ بْتِغَائِ مَرْضَاتِ اللَّهِ وَاللَّهُ رَعْفُؤٌ بِالْإِبَادِ And of mankind is he who would sell himself. And of mankind is of him who would sell himself seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
he would sell himself for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah is full of kindness to his slaves. You know, this is the mentality, brothers, that we need to start developing. You know, the price of Islam and the price of Jannah is not cheap. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, in another ayah, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, إِنَّ اللَّهَ اشْتَرَ مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ أَنفُسَهُمْ وَعَمْوَالَهُمْ بِأَنَّ لَهُمُ الْجَنَّةِ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has purchased. You understand what the word purchase means? It's a transaction. Yeah? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has bought your life and your, your life and your wealth for the exchange of Jannah, for the exchange of paradise. And this is the mentality that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is constantly trying to build within the Muslim ummah of this is the necessary mentality that you need to have to make sure that you do not get cozy and comfortable with these uh, little uh, incentives that you have in this country. If you go back to the life of Shuib al-Rumi, you know, all of that wealth he could have kept. He could have said, you know what, I'm actually going to go back to Mecca, I'm happy with my money. But he went to Mecca, he went to Medina to meet the Prophet and live with him under the Islamic State with nothing. And Shuaib al-Rumi, brothers, he was not just a spiritual guy or a very uh, charitable guy. You know, he was very trustworthy to Umar bin al-Khattab. That when Umar bin al-Khattab was dying, he made Shuaib al-Rumi the interim khalif to watch over the appointment of the next khalif, which was to be Uthman radiallahu anhu. You see how even the Sahabas, they took on political roles. On a, uh, they got involved in, in, the, in the looking after the affairs of the Muslims. Because they done what was required for Islam. You know, the, I was reading this statement the other day, and it was actually quite profound. And you know, um, actually this sister, she wrote, that, you know, some people are so poor, that all they have nowadays is money. Yeah? Some people are so poor nowadays, that all they have is money. Yeah? That's all they have. <laughs> But this is the mentality, brothers, you know, being in the West, yeah, we've been living off the cream for too long, yeah, we've been li- living off the fat for too long. And it's time for the Muslims to take up, our, take up our responsibility. Because when I said you need to remove yourself from the chain, brothers, you need to remove yourselves from being a chain of jahiliyyah, and you need to attach yourself to the chains of Islam. And you need to make sure that your family and your friends and all of these people are attached to the chains of Islam. And that you collectively enter Jannah. These are some of the actions that we need to do. The correct knowledge needs to be pursued. You see, the looking after the affairs of the Muslims, like you saw, you know the issues that um, the video highlighted, the issues of Palestine, Afghanistan, of rejecting this identity of being a British Muslim. All of these things need to be actively participated upon. And you know, brothers, I'm going to inshallah, end uh, with one last point, inshallah. And that is, brothers, that, you know, the Prophet ﷺ, he said in a beautiful hadith, you know, he said, Ad-dunya daru man la dar That the dunya is the dar, is the land of those people who have no land. Actually, a bit, uh, uh, maybe a translation would be, the dunya is the home of those people who have no home. وَمَالُ مَنْ لَا مَالَ لَهُ And it is the wealth of those people who have no wealth. And then the Prophet ﷺ, he says so beautifully, وَلَا هَيَجْمَعُ مَنْ لَا أَكْلَ لَهُ 
and it is only consumed by those people who have no brains, yeah, who have no aql, who have no thinking. Because at the end of the day, if you realize actually what you're pursuing and what is actually necessary and needed to be done, you'll actually realize that there's a bigger and uh, wider uh, struggle that needs to be involved in. We need to get ourselves involved in. Like the work for the Islamic State, like the brother showed at the end, like the resumption of the Islamic way of life, calling the Muslims to Islam, you see, defending the Islamic values and honors, defending our sisters when they're being dishonored. All of these things, they need to be done by the Muslim men. You see, if you don't stand up for Islam, who else is going to do it? Are the non-Muslims going to do it? You see? So, inshallah, this, this is maybe our take-home message, and uh, inshallah, in the question and answer, we can maybe elaborate on more points, inshallah. I know I'm running out of time, inshallah, so I'll hand you back to speak, inshallah. Thanks for downloading this podcast. You can subscribe to it from our blogspot at centralmod.blogspot.com to receive our weekly podcast. Assalamu alaikum.